So we're going we're gonna to head into our teaching time this week. For those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Pastor Bobby. I'm the worship and creative arts pastor here. So most Sundays I get the opportunity to sing with you, and today I get to bring us our teaching. Um, we're going to head there in just a second, but if you do have your, your Bibles with you, we're going to head to Luke 2, one of the scriptures we were even reading this morning. And, and so if you are new with us, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Bill, our interim pastor, uh, he brought us into a series called The Giving God. And he brought us right back into the basics a couple of weeks ago, if you were here with us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so he kicked it all off, if you remember, by talking about this mind-blowing phrase, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. He got us to turn around and tell each other, Jesus loves them. And he got us to really just understand the motive behind God's giving, which is that he loves us. And then last week, he followed that up by just reminding us the gift that was given, Jesus Christ, is, is given to us because God would, and he said this quote, God would rather die than be without us. God would literally rather die than be without us because he wants to be with us. We talk about it often in, in the Christmas story, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is God with us. And so we're going to go right into our Christmas kind of series, which is a part of the giving God as well. So with Jesus comes joy. And with Jesus comes peace. And with Jesus comes hope. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about how with Jesus comes life. And then on Christmas Day, we're talking about how with Jesus comes family. You become a part of the family of God. And so today, we're going to be talking about how with Jesus, there is joy. Joy comes with the gift of Jesus. And so we're going to start off just by reading the portion of Scripture from the Christmas story where we see joy, and that's in Luke 2. 8 to 12. And there'll be a couple of scriptures that will come through, and we even read this one this morning, but let's just remind ourselves of it. It says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, which will cause great joy, and it's for all People. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I bring you what? Good news that will cause great joy. And it's for all people. Let's say that one more time. Let's, let's just remember this. I bring you good news, which will cause great joy. And it's for all people. This is the Christmas story. This is where we get joy. And so let me just pray as we go into, whenever I, I start off a sermon and we read the scripture, I just always want to, as much as we can, humble ourselves as we hear God's voice this morning. And so God, as we open up your word, as we read your scripture this morning, we know that you'll speak to us, but would you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to be able to hear from you today? We are just so thankful that you, Creator God, are willing and wanting to uh, speak to us, even this morning. And so, would you do that? Would you pierce our hearts this morning? Would we leave knowing a little bit more about who you are and what we should do with that? So, we love you and we thank you. And I pray. Amen. 
And so when it comes to joy, joy is going to be what we're talking about this morning. I found in my research and my studies as I was doing some things, there's just four different levels of joy that we're going to go through. And the first level is just called pleasure. It's the simplest part of joy. It's those little things that can come into your life just for a moment, and all of a sudden they go away, and you can experience joy. You can experience happiness. It might be short, and it might just kind of disappear a little bit after that. And, and so for some examples, what would be some examples? For some of you who may not know, I, have, uh, I just work here part-time at the church. My other part-time job is driving a bus. I drive 60 elementary school kids, kindergartners to grade eights to school every single day, and I pick them up and I bring them home every single day. And so I got 60 of them. So I asked them this week as they were leaving, I said, what makes you happy? Just tell me, before you leave the bus, it gave me a little insight on who they were, what makes you happy? And so here are some of the things that they listed off, and they were pretty fun. Some are pretty, pretty straightforward. My family makes me happy. My mom makes me happy. My dad makes me happy. Candy makes me happy. Uh, Christmas makes me happy. Horses make me happy. Horses make me happy. Horses make me, like literally there was six girls. I think they were all in between the ages of like probably five and ten where horses is just their life. And that's all, that's what makes them happy. And as somebody who grew up on a dairy farm, this has been something that's made me angry my whole life. People love horses. They never talk about cows. And cows are what brings me joy. Cows bring me happiness. And so on behalf of dairy farmers, I would answer cows. Cows bring me so much joy. But horses, horses. We had dirt bikes, gymnastics, basketball, reading a book under a blanket, um, bring them joy. There was two that I, uh, I really loved. There was a JK student as he was leaving that turns. And I'm like, ah, oh, what, ma what makes you happy? He turns around and he says, toast. <laughs> and I was like, oh. But then he, he added more. He said, with peanut butter. And I'm like... Absolutely. I know for a fact that brings joy in my house. Then there was, uh, there was one more that I really enjoyed as she was leaving. She said, my family makes me really happy until they don't. And then my dog makes me happy. And I'm like, you know what? That's also a perfect picture of my house, I think. When, when all of a sudden, for some reason, our kids don't like us because we said something, they go straight to the couch and our dog, Rosie, and they just snuggle with Rosie and Rosie brings them joy. So how about you? I, whenever I preach, you'll always get this. I want you to interact. I don't want you to just listen to me the whole time. What makes you happy? Turn around, just tell somebody. Just something simple. What makes you happy? What brings you joy in life? Now, each of these things that were probably said, or maybe that you said, there's something that brings you joy, and I think it's just a glimpse of perfection is what it is. It's just a glimpse of how wonderful God is, of God's perfection, just these moments in time. And, and Scripture actually even shows us this, too, in Romans 1.20. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God, it says in many Scriptures, especially when you go through the Psalms, we actually get to experience who God is through His creation. Creation as in horses, or cows, or people, his creation, or the things that his people have created, like peanut butter on toast, maybe, like glimpses, just a small glimpse of who God is. He reveals himself like that so that we will, even without someone else, be able to know, 
know who God is. But just like most, most things we're going to be talking about today, they're short-lasting, and they're easily taken away. They're just moments, which brings us to kind of the second level of joy, and the second level of joy is called passion. Now, this could be the same answer as what you just gave in what makes you happy, um, but it's probably a little bit deeper. It'll be one of those ones. Something that you're passionate about is something that brings you joy, but you like to spend a little bit more time and a little bit more energy into it. You think about it all the time. You would, you would spend nights doing it, and it gives you a little bit more joy, a little bit more joy maybe than peanut butter on toast, but I'm sure the person who created peanut butter was probably very passionate about peanut butter and spent time and energy. But what for you, it could be something that you just said, but it could be something different. And again, turn around. What is something that you are passionate about? Doesn't have to be, I would say sports. Doesn't have to be anything crazy like spiritual. Could be art. Could be bird watching. What do you like spending your time doing that brings you a little bit more joy? What are you passionate about? And so when it comes to these first two levels of joy, when it comes to pleasure and when it comes to passion, the primary purpose of both of those is self-seeking, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. The primary purpose of both pleasure and passion, they're self-seeking. They're, they're things that bring us joy. They're things that maybe affect us. And that's why they are temporary, and that's why they can be fleeting sometimes as well. Because if we are having a bad day or if we are in a bad season, sometimes even these things can't necessarily bring us joy. And so that brings us to our third level already. The third level of joy is purpose. Now, this is where we can really step it up a notch. As you can see, again, it's gonna, they'll be all Ps. They'll help us remember. So we have pleasure, then we have passion, now we have purpose. And this is where we can really step it up a notch. This is where you can start shaping your life around something. When your passions are combined with progressing forward a greater good, you can start feeling purpose. When your passions are combined with progressing forward a greater good. When you are passionate, for example, I do love sports, and I actually do love working with kids. And so when I, and I, so I'm, I'm Willem, who's, he's a, I'm his hockey coach. And so when you can love something like hockey and, and, and enjoy something like teaching kids and then get to see on somebody else's face, like I remember it even happened a couple weeks ago. This is Willem's first year and he got off the ice and his face was just so joyful after the first time he had played like a hockey game. And as a coach, that is really filling. That gives you a sense of purpose when you can help somebody else kind of grow in something. And this is where I start to think about my relationship with God a little bit more. This is maybe where I bring it into something a little bit more serious because when you can help people for the greater good and when that can be pointing them to Jesus, there can be a lot of purpose in that. This is a story that happens almost monthly here, at least in our department, is that we would have, and so here's an example of what happens here at Calvary, is all of a sudden somebody new comes to Calvary, um, and they are either checking church out for the first time, or they just moved here, and they're just looking to see where should I go to church, and they come to be a part of our service on a Sunday morning, and they're somebody who really enjoys music. They, they are passionate about it. They feel it in their bones. And so when they come to church on a Sunday, the worship time is something that they really connect with. I always, I always say, 
It's okay if you don't like music. We sing a lot of songs in church. <laughs> we do sing a lot of songs in church because there's not too many activities we can do together, unified together, where you're singing and saying the same things, learning about God with everybody. It's very unifying, but some people love it a lot more, and they feel it, and, and they're thinking about it. And so all of a sudden, they find Calvary. This is where I'm going to spend my time. I really have enjoyed it. Now I want to give back. And then they talk to me. They have a conversation with me. And they say, hey, I love playing. I'll just pick an instrument, drums. I love playing the drums and I love music, and I have found that Calvary is a place where I want to be. I want to give back. So we have a conversation. I introduce them to the team, and then they're, they're practicing with us, and they actually love practicing because they're spending time drumming and listening to music, and then they're with other musicians who also love music, and, they're, and we're creating all of these moments together, and they're getting filled from it, and then all of a sudden, it's a Sunday morning, and it's their first time on the drums on a Sunday morning, and they're worshiping God, and they're enjoying being a part of the team. They're playing drums in church, and they love drums. Like, this is a great combo. And then all of a sudden, they open their eyes during the service, and they see somebody else connecting to God in that moment, maybe hearing God's voice or, or seeing the unity of the church, and they got to play drums and help that happen. It's a beautiful feeling. It is a beautiful feeling when you feel like you can use something that you're good at, that you love, and God partners with you and actually helps maybe affects someone else's life. We would have this with a lot of our teachers and kids ministry, people who love taking a large idea and making it simple for a kid, and all of a sudden when that kid gets it, when, there's, when their eyes open, or, or this happens with us when, when one of our kids comes home and tells us the whole story, we're like, who was your teacher? So we can send them a message and say, whatever you did today was really good because they remembered everything. And I just know the joy that can happen in those moments. Our hospitality team, someone who loves creating a good environment, is able to just be hospitable enough, hospitable enough, so that when somebody comes in, they feel welcomed and loved and appreciated. They're good at the conversation stuff, and, and they can feel filled and given purpose in those moments. It happens here all the time. And so the first two levels of joy gave us a small glimpse into what God is like, but purpose shows us a glimpse of what God is doing. And that's why it kind of is the next level up. And it is crazy because God actually invites us to do it. Just like that Roman scripture that we just read at the beginning, God says, no matter what you do, don't worry, I will reveal myself to everybody. They will have no shadow of a doubt that I exist because I will reveal myself through my creation. But one of his favorite ways to do it, it's all through scripture, is saying, hey, I will actually, even though it probably will take longer, and you'll probably mess up a lot of times, and you might even like, misrepresent me, I'm going to choose you to actually show me to the world. What an incredible gift. And when you get to participate, if any of you have ever participated in a moment like that, where you feel like God used you to help push forward a greater good, that is a sweet spot in life. And so there's a scripture that I think shows this really well. You're still in Luke, maybe, if you were opening it up. Again, it's on the screen, but we're going to go to Luke 10. We'll just read a couple of verses, 1 and 2, and then 17 and 18 and 20, and I think it shows this really well. So Luke 10, verses 1 to 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. So when Jesus was there, he had kind of different concentric circles of disciples. He had three that were really close to him. Then he had his 12 that we hear a lot about. But there was more. Now he has this 72 that he's sending out. And so these 72 were people who would have known Jesus well, seen his ministry, heard his teachings, probably watched him heal people, cast out demons, teach people, like do all of those things. And now he was saying, I'm empowering you, the 72, I want you to go out. I'm going to give you my spirit. You'll be empowered to do it. But you've also seen and you've heard what I've done. I want you to go and do it now. And so he sent 72 of them out to go and do what he had already been doing. So now we'll jump to verse 17. And it says, The 72 returned with joy, with joy, and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They came back ecstatic. They came back after healing people. Obviously, they had some things where they were able to, in Jesus' name, cast out demon-possessed people. I'm sure they had moments of teaching, and they came back after experiencing those moments of purpose and were filled with level three joy. And Jesus was with them, and he said in verse 18, I, I even saw Satan fall like lightning. I looked into that verse a little bit, and there's different ways you can kind of interpret it. One of the ones that made the most sense to me was Jesus was saying, and I was there with you. While you were out, while all of you were out there, I saw the kingdom of heaven literally gaining ground, and I saw the kingdom of darkness literally falling. While you were out there healing people, teaching people the good news, bringing joy, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I was there with you. What a story. That's level three joy. And then he says, however. However? What do you mean, however? Jesus, isn't this the pinnacle of joy? Isn't this the top level of joy that we can get? A joy where we're doing something that we enjoy, that we're passionate about, and you can partner with us, and we're telling other people about Jesus, healing them? How can there be anything more? However, the thing is, level one joy Pleasure, level two, joy. Passion, level three, joy. They're still two based on circumstances. And circumstances can change, as everybody here would know. Some definitely more than others. Circumstances can change. Feelings can change. Weeks can stink. Months can stink. Years can stink. Sickness can come. Grief can overtake you. Loneliness can overwhelm you. Circumstances can change. You think that level one, Peanut butter on toast can maybe change that, no, or overcome that, no, not always. Level two, something you're passionate about can't always overcome those moments. Sometimes even level three purpose can't overcome those moments. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew it really well, actually. He, he knew it well probably at that point, but he knew there was something coming where he was going to need something more than even level three joy. And so he says this in verse 20. After, after he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I was with you. That's incredible. In the midst of this, he's using a, a teaching moment. And then he says this, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the midst of their level three joy, feeling purpose, excited, you wouldn't believe Jesus. Of course he would believe. Eh? Like, what was happening it was incredible, and he said, you, I don't want that to be where your joy comes from. I want it to be that your names have been written in heaven. Your joy needs to come from the fact that your names are written in heaven. The, the psalmist would write it, we've, the joy of my salvation. There's songs that we would have sung, the joy of my salvation. Your joy needs to come from who you are, not what you do. 
It has to because circumstances change. And so level four joy is part of the family. That's where your joy comes from. You are a part of the family joy. Because no matter what happens, you have been adopted into the family of God, and that never changes. It doesn't matter what season you're in. You're still a, you're part of the family. It doesn't matter if you, if you have been feeling lonely or overwhelmed or sick. You're still a part of the family. It doesn't matter if you haven't felt level one or two or three happiness or joy in a while because you still are a part of the family of God. And that's what Jesus was saying. Your names are written in heaven. I want that to be where your joy comes from. And so there's one more story in Scripture that I think really shows this. It's in Acts 16, 22 to 34. A story where you can just see level four joy, the difference between level four joy and level one, two, and three. So starting in verse 22 of Acts 16, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So Paul and Silas, teaching the good news of who Jesus is. This is in the New Testament, after Jesus. And they were teaching everybody, telling them about Jesus. Thrown in prison, beaten, flogged, and now they're chained up in prison. When they had received, verse 24, when they had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is what level four joy looks like, guys. In the, in the midst of a dark dungeon, after being beaten, they're singing songs, and they're praying loud enough that the people around them can hear them. Verse 26, And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose, and the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought, the prisoners are gone, I'm done for. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, we are all here still. And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There is something different about you, Paul and Silas, like Obviously, even before this whole breaking of the jail cell, you were praying, there is something different. What must I do to be saved? He saw level four joy in them and saw something bigger than them and said, what must I do? You must know. Verse 31, and so they replied, just believe in the Lord Jesus and you're going to be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour, the jail, that night, the jailer took them and washed all their wounds and then he, he and immediately in his household, they were all baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God. He and his whole household, level four joy, part of the family joy. This is how it spreads. You can see it in Paul and Silas in the jail cell, and then it radically changes the life of somebody who had never heard it. Level four, part of the family. That jailer now is a part of the family, has access to level four joy. No matter the circumstances, I'm sure there were some circumstances coming his way after the prisoners escaped. I'm sure there were some circumstances, and he was going to need that level four, part of the family joy. There was... There was something that happened in my life this last couple of weeks that I just felt like was such a good analogy um, as I was thinking about it. So as I was saying, I have a second job, a bus driver job, and that, joy, that, that job actually gives me a lot of joy because I love working with kids and I love working with students. And so 
when I'm driving, I think Kathleen would probably say, when I'm falling asleep, I don't really want to wake up early every morning. Maybe I'm not joyful in those moments when I'm waking up at 6 a.m. But while I'm on the bus with the students, I, I'm so full of joy. There are moments, let me show you, there are some moments that just bring me so much joy. Um, we have like a, a moment before all the kids go home where all the, the kindergartners come on first. And so there's like 6 to 12 of them. And, and they're all just jam-packed in right behind me. And they're just telling me stories. Like picture these, the, 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 the treehouse kids. And they're just telling you stories about what's... As a parent, it's all the stories. You're just frightened. What is my JK telling all of the teachers about what's happening in my house? Well, they're telling me. I know all the stories. And it's just, it, it's hilarious. And it brings me a lot of joy just to talk to them before. There's a moment on our bus, on our bus route where we have like a small bump. And everybody knows the bump is coming. And right before we hit the bump, and I don't hit the bump fast, I promise. Their hands are in the air like a roller coaster. And we hit, this, we hit this little bump that would not even move them, but they all jump up in their seat enough that they just, it brings me a lot of joy in that moment. There's a, there's a moment where one of the kids gets off the bus, and I don't, it just naturally happened. Everybody chants their name, just chants. The whole bus is just chanting their name, and they go and do a cartwheel in their front lawn. And then everybody cheers, and then we just keep moving forward. That brings me a lot of joy. There's maybe my favorite is, now that winter is here, and anyone that has a kindergartner, it's like you got boots and snow pants and coats and hats and mitts. A, I have a whole lost and found every day at the end of the bus run, but it takes a long time sometimes for them just to get out of that front seat, cross the road in front of your bus. And, and one of my stops is on a pretty ma like major highway, and uh, I can feel as soon as we stop, I give them lots of warning. Hey, and. 20 minutes, <laughs> we will be at your bus stop, start getting ready. And, and, and we're sitting there, and I can feel the cars lining up behind me and in front of me um, as just taking their sweet time to get out of the bus. And, and I can see on the face of the people that are driving the car in front of me, the anger is building. Because they don't even see anything for the first minute and a half. We're just all sitting there because it's just this little human that's about to come across. And all of a sudden, you can see on their face and as they're crossing it, literally at about, let's say, a minute and a half, two minutes later, this little kindergartner just looking at the person in their car and just like waves at them. And you can just feel their anger. It's like, that brings me, that brings me joy. There's a lot of things in my job that bring me joy. Now, last week, was it last week? Might have been two weeks ago now. I made a mistake at work. Have you ever made a mistake at work before? Or have you ever made a mistake at school where you did something and your heart just sinks? You sent an email and you realized something was wrong in it or it went to the wrong people or you did something at work, you're like, oh, that was my fault. I did it. It was wrong. And so I had a moment like that. Nothing crazy. I don't need to go to jail or anything like that or I'm not going to lose my job. But it was just a thing in the bus world. When your bus is half empty, that's when you fill it up. That's empty. And I was coming from work here. I always leave from work to go there and I just got busy. And I'm like, ah, I can do the math. We got time. We got, we'll be all right. And so the bus gets loaded up, and we're on our route, and all of a sudden the gas light pops on. And it's just, you know that feeling? I'm sure you do, when all of a sudden you just, you have this sinking feeling. Like, I feel like I want to throw up. Because I know it's my fault. I, it was my, it's no, I can blame nobody. <laughs> I will try as quick as I can. Nope, this is all my fault. And so all of a sudden I'm just staring at that gas gauge. I'm doing all the math in my head. How many kilometers we got? How much time do we have? Are we going to be okay? And all of those things that I just explained to you that bring me joy on my bus route, they were happening still. And when everyone was chanting that kid's name to do a cartwheel, I was so annoyed. Oh, I was so annoyed because I'm just staring at my gas gauge. When that, when that little kid was taking way too long, I was just like, get out of here. Like, I don't know how much time I have. 
I don't like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I could not experience joy because I did not know what the future held for me in that circumstance. And the, and the future could be bad, and it could be my fault. Spoiler, everything was fine. My math was correct. <laughs> I will not do that again. But it was a powerful lesson. I literally came home, my mom was watching the kids, and, and I came home and like, Mom, that's like the perfect like, analogy where I didn't know what my future held. It could have been bad. And I could not experience joy in the present. I couldn't experience joy in the present because I just had an unknown future. There's, there's another story here that I was reading this week. It's about spoilers. And it's a study that was done by two UC San Diego researchers that studied that spoilers don't actually spoil stories. So a spoiler is when you actually know what the ending is before the ending comes. And they discovered that people consistently, so they did, they did research and they said, we have 12 stories. I want everybody to read these stories. Half of them have spoilers in them, so you know how the end happens, and half of them don't. And all of their studies showed that the stories that had spoilers in them, where you knew what the ending was before you got there, people consistently enjoyed those stories more. And so he thought, that he thought maybe there's an interesting theory about why people like to know the end, and he said maybe it's so that once you know how it turns out, it's just cognitively easier you're more comfortable processing the information. You can focus on a deeper understanding of the story. You're not stressed out about the future. You're not thinking about all the possibilities that could happen or nervous that the main character might die. Or you, don't, you know what I mean? When you already know, oh, it's going to end up like this, you can rest. You can enter the story. You can actually enjoy the story. So we may lose some suspense, yes. But maybe if we know the ending, it will allow us not to just endure the journey, but to actually enjoy it. What is your hope in the future? What is your hope in the end? If you have hope, like Pastor Bill said a couple of weeks ago, we know the ending. God wins. We know the ending. Jesus defeated death, rose from the dead. We know that love wins, and we know that if we are, we will be saved. We will have eternal life. That is our hope, so we can enjoy and rest, not just endure this journey, but enjoy it, no matter the circumstances, level for joy, because we are a part of the family. That's what level for joy is, when you have hope in the future. I was listening to another thing, and we don't, there's, there's um, it, it, when you look at Revelation in a few places in the Bible, they talk about how there's this book of life, and your name could be written in it. Like, I think there's a, there's a whole a sermon series on what that is and how it looks, but just even as an analogy, if, if I were to have that book out here today, and I was just reading names, I have it, here we go, we have the answers. If I read your name, you're in. If I read your name, and then you felt and you knew my name is written in heaven. My salvation is there. I know it because I heard it. It's good. And then something happened to you today, it would just be nothing compared to what you heard this morning. How can we wrap our minds around salvation in a way where we just know, we know that when we declared with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we are saved. Sometimes you just don't like to remember and believe it. That's why moments like last week, if you were with us, when we have baptism services and we can see God working in the lives of other people and we're reminded of how good God is. That's why coming to church is so important because when you can have other people remind you of, of God working in your life, you can be reminded of him working in your life. You can be reminded that you are a part of 
the family, we, re- we really need to remember that. Level four joy, part of the family. We're going to head into a time of communion to close here. Um, if you do not have, so we have these little packets here. I think we have some ushers that, if you don't have one of these, um, would you put your hand up and, and then you can, you can join with us. We call this, um, our, our table's an open table. And so you might be new with us, um, but we would say, hey, join with us. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, join with us. You're a part of the family. And some of you might not be ready to say that yet, and that's okay. You get to watch us as we do this and see what the family is like. But if you would say, I believe that Jesus is Lord, you can join with us. And so we're going to head into communion. And whenever we go into communion, we do three things. We look back which we did a little bit today with some of our scriptures, but we look back to what Jesus has done. We remember what Jesus did on the cross. We remember the Last Supper when he was sitting with his disciples. And sometimes we even look back in our own lives to have some of those moments where we remember that that pit of our, our stomach feeling and saying, hey, where have we fallen short in these moments as well? So we do, we look back. Even at that Last Supper scripture that we read often in 1 Corinthians, for I receive from the Lord what I also pass to you. This is what Jesus was saying. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat, this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we look back. That's one of the things that we do. But we also look forward. You know, Pastor Bill always says this. He always says this. He's been here a couple weeks, but he said this a lot in the last couple weeks. I want people to leave church not sad. doesn't mean that we can't have moments in service where we're lamenting or where we're thinking, but we always get to leave with hope. We always get to leave with hope. And so we don't just look back during communion. Communion should be reflective, but it shouldn't be sad. We should be filled with hope because we look in the future. And so we look to the future after we we reflect on the past, but we look to the future because there is hope. We don't have to sit with this guilt and with this shame. We remember and we say, God wins in the end. Love wins. I am a part of the family. So we look back, we look ahead, but we also look around. You're not in this alone. Look around. Look at all of us. We're in the family together this morning. We're eating and drinking together this morning. Having moments like baptism last week is so encouraging to our spirits because of what a God is doing in their life. So we don't do this alone. And so let's just take a moment to look back, to look ahead, and to look around. I'll just give you maybe 20 seconds even just to to think about that, maybe one of those parts. And then um, I'll lead us and we can, we can eat and drink together. And so we'll take the bread. And as Jesus said, this is his body, which is for us. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And this is the cup, the new covenant in his blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Level four joy, part of the family joy. No matter the circumstances, joy. 
where we can have times of prayer together, standing with each other in times of sickness and loneliness and, and anxiousness about the future, and we can actually feel joy in the presence because we're part of the family of God, adopted sons and adopted daughters. And so to close, I say this, kind of three different things we can maybe take away. Are you a part of the family? Because if not, today is a great day. Today is a great day to do that. Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Absolutely worth it. Come join the family. Are you a part of the family already? How hopeful are you? Have you been feeling a little less joy in the present because that might let you know how hopeful you have been in the future? Maybe you need to be reminded of that verse I just read because it's true to you. Have you? Would you say Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead because you're saved? Your name has been written in heaven. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. God wins in the end. All things are made new in the end. There is hope for the future. Not just for us. Sometimes it feels a little selfish. Okay, I'm good. For the world. And maybe for all of us, who is it that you can help experience joy in your life? I think there's always this as we leave. If you're the Paul and Silas in the story, who is it that's around you? If you're experiencing level four joy, people should notice. Coworkers, neighbors, friends, family members, because all of a sudden circumstances are happening in your life, and yet you're reacting different than people normally do and normally should, and they should be pointed to Jesus. That's what happens in it. And so who is it that's around you? That's why we also want the joy of the Lord, so that people can be pointed to Jesus. We go back to that first that first scripture we were reading. I bring you what? Good news, which will cause great joy. And it's for who? For all people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy, and it's for all people, because I am the hope of the world. That's what he was saying.